Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of the Speaking for Him podcast. Today on the show, we will be talking about characteristics of the love of God. I'm really excited to begin this series, and we're going to, over the next, um, well, over over a four-episode period, not necessarily consecutive episodes, but over a four-episode period, we are going to be discussing characteristics of the love of God, and I've and we may even delve into each characteristic on a future episode as well. So this could be a kind of a long series here on the podcast, but I, I think it's very well needed in our culture today because love is a word that we use a lot, but we don't necessarily fully comprehend its meaning. And I'm actually looking for people to co-host this series with me. So I will list, um, those different episodes on uh, my Facebook page. And if you are interested in possibly coming on to co-host about a particular topic, then I would be glad to have you. And to kick this off, we have a familiar voice to those of you who have been long-time Speaking For Him podcast listeners. Mr. Adam McNutt is back in studio with us. Hey, it's good to be back. Man, I had to blow the dust off my headphones there for a few. It's good to have you back, and we may uh, spend a little bit of time uh, toward the end of the show getting caught up with you personally. But before we get into that and the meat of our show, I want to share with you a little bit about what is going on. All right, so as is my norm of late, I would like to talk to you about a couple stories in the news this week, and chiefly, uh, one that's on everybody's minds is the fact that Rush Limbaugh, one of the kings of talk radio, has passed away. Now, a couple of years ago, I probably wouldn't have emphasized this as much as I am today, and that is because Rush was definitely a polarizing figure. He definitely said provocative things and often said things that were, to say the least, controversial. Um, but first of all, I just want to say Rush was an influence on me as a teenager. I listened to him quite a bit. And he really helped to whet my desire to be politically active and to speak out on important issues. Um, but also, I learned something recently that caused me to want to share this with you about him. And that is, first of all, I learned that he recently, within the last two years, made a personal commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen to him talk about this in his own words. This is a clip from the Michael Knoll show of The Daily Wire. Back in October, Rush Limbaugh opened up about his faith. I mentioned at the outset of this, the first day I told you that I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It is of uh, immense value, strength, confidence. And that's why I'm able to remain fully committed 
to the idea that what is supposed to happen will happen when it's meant to. Rush was convinced that what is supposed to happen would happen when it was meant to. And as always, with impeccable timing, ever the showman, probably with an assist from the big guy upstairs, you would say, Rush Limbaugh died on Ash Wednesday, the very day that we are told to remember, remember man that thou art dust, and unto dust thou shalt return. And so, Adam, first of all, uh, because I have the privilege of having you in the studio, what are your initial thoughts of that audio piece from Mr. Limbaugh? Uh, first off, I think it's really awesome to know that he developed in time a personal relationship with Christ. I mean, how huge and crucial is that, right? Um, secondly, I think it just allows us to get to know him more as a person and not just as a radio host, which I really appreciate because a lot of people in spotlights, usually you just kind of get what you get from them, whether listening or watching them or what the media has to say about them. But to actually hear more of his personal life and to find out that he had that going on in his heart, um, that that makes me extremely excited. I didn't listen to him much, but they know that little bit. Um, yeah, it makes me happy. I think it actually really excited me even more than I thought it would because one of the things that I know often happens is when celebrities die, we often say, R.I.P. or rest in peace. And I get the, I get the idea behind it that you're grateful for the influence they had on your life, whether it was music or whether it was their acting or whatever. But the ultimate reality is if we have not settled who God is and who we are in relation to God, we can't really rest in peace. The only way to rest in peace is to have a relationship with the Lord. And so to hear that he actually did develop that, um, was very exciting. And I can, I could actually say of him, rest in peace, rush. And so to me, that was a big deal. And I know that for a lot of people, he was an incendiary character. And I, and I'm not here to defend everything he said, but I think it is significant that there is an article which I will post on the blog, which details, um, his further details about his conversion to Jesus Christ. And the reason I say that is because when I first saw an article from the Christian Post saying that he credited the Lord Jesus with his um, with being able to handle his cancer and being able to have confidence in the future, I didn't really think much of it. But then hearing the actual audio that Michael Knowles provided and then also reading this other article, which I will share with you, which detailed um, a man named Joel Rosenberg, who's a Christian author, actually talked about his relationship with Rush. He used to work for the EIB network and he would witness to Rush, and he was concerned for Rush's soul. And for those who may not know, Rush was was raised in a Christian home. His brother David has for years been a Christian author. So I'm pretty sure that it weighed on his heart, too, to have Rush uh, make the right decision to follow Jesus Christ. So I was just really gratified that he made that decision, um, but it brings up something very important that I want to also discuss with you. And that is kind of the difference between the way that we react when a conservative um, celebrity uh, 
dies and the way that we and the way that we react when a liberal celebrity dies. And by that I'm talking about how the opposition reacts. Because there was a lot of vitriol and words that I can't say on social media mm-hmm. about the death of, of Rush Limbaugh because of some of the incendiary things that he said. And I'm not here to say that he didn't say incendiary things. I think it's very clear that he did. And many of them were inexcusable. Some of them were taken out of context. Many of them were inexcusable. But the ultimate reality is that I've come to realize that that Rush had a real life change, and I'm very grateful for that. So right now I want to play a, a piece um, by Matt Walsh. Um, it's a fairly long uh, clip, so I'm not sure if we will play you all of it, um, but I can also guarantee you that we will have that full clip in again at the blog post for this podcast so that you can see it for yourself. But Matt, here's Matt Walsh talking a little bit about the difference between liberals and conservatives in their reactions to the death of their political adversaries. Rush Limbaugh died on Wednesday at the age of 70, uh, though his lung cancer diagnosis has been publicly known for months, of course, still his death has managed to feel somehow shocking. That's um, That's how it always feels when a man of great consequence and importance reaches the end of his of his time here on earth and that's one thing that nobody can deny about rush limbaugh rush rush's life it was important it was an important consequential life he was a pioneer a legend he changed the country in ways that few media figures ever have ever could ever will anyone who doubts rush's profound importance need only take a, a glance at social media And there they'll find, of course, many people paying grateful tribute to the radio icon and talking about him and all the ways that they were personally motivated by him and and influenced by him and shaped by him. But um, another and perhaps more profound indication of Russia's importance is that all of the worst people in the country, many of the most vile and disgusting ghouls that our culture has produced, have come out to celebrate his death openly and to dance on his grave without shame. These are not just random anonymous internet trolls either. I mean, there are a lot of those, but also some of the most prominent left-wing voices who, when they're not laughing at a man for dying of cancer, are busy lecturing us about the need for civil political discourse. This sort of thing happens so automatically that we aren't shocked by it anymore. When a famous person of a certain political uh, persuasion, certain ideological persuasion dies, We expect that Satan and hell will be trending on Twitter because of all the users openly fantasizing about their political enemy roasting eternally in a place that, by the way, they don't even think exists. And that's exactly what happened in in, in Russia's case, right on cue. But why does it happen? It seems insufficient to chalk it up to mere partisanship, mere uh, divisiveness. What's really fueling it? To answer that question, the first thing we have to establish is that this is truly a left-wing phenomenon. I'm not claiming that nobody on the right did any football spiking or made any jokes about the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg or some other recently deceased liberal, okay? What I'm claiming is that those reactions were representative of a definite minority on the right. For the most part, RBG was eulogized respectfully, both by the left and the right. There are notable exceptions, but those exceptions are just that, exceptions. On the left, 
the respectful eulogy of political opponents has become itself the exception. Shameless celebration is the norm now. It's, it's what you expect to see. And it's what you do see. What drives this, I think, is the same thing that drives cancel culture to a great extent. It's the belief, again, not totally unique to the left, but more prevalent by a wide margin on the left, that people with differing views are bad people. Not just that they have bad opinions, bad ideas, but they, that, that they themselves are bad deep down in their souls. The consequence of casting every political disagreement, every alternate opinion, every opposing argument as racism or sexism or homophobia or transphobia or whatever other ism or phobia is that those, those who are conditioned into thinking this way will come to believe that their opponents are truly and irredeemably evil. So it's easy to make jokes, as I have many times, about the fact that the left calls everything and everyone bigoted, right? But the not-so-funny reality is that a great many Americans, especially younger Americans, really believe this framing. They really believe it. They've taken it to heart. It is the lens through which they view reality. They, They look out at the world, and they see millions of wicked, worthless, racist, knuckle-dragging subhumans staring back at them. That's the world they see. They don't recognize the humanity of their opponents. They certainly cannot see any goodness or virtue in them. Rush was the relentless target um, of this equally relentless hatred for much of the past four decades. As I'm sure he expected, that has not changed after his death. If anything, it's just ramped up. The man achieved many great things and made his mark in many countless and incalculable ways. But one of the deepest testaments to his life is that these sorts of people are rejoicing over its end. May we all have hope to have that kind of impact on the world. Adam, do you have any initial thoughts? You know, something that he had said that really jumped out is how he said now it's kind of like desensitized when someone passes away. Like people say something or something really, really terrible or awful or just all around disrespectful. And now it's just kind of like, uh, it's just like breathing or just kind of like a normal thing now. And that's a big thing to stop and think about for a second. Like that's, that's not good. You know, that's not how it should be, right? And it just makes you wonder kind of where we took that Michigan left to where that was that was okay. But uh, it really does seem like in a way we've kind of lost the humanity of the situations. Even how he said, you know, you can see a virtue even in a person you might not agree with um, and that's an actual person. So, yeah, a lot of uh, – the plate's full, a lot of food for thought there. And one of the things that I that I thought was interesting was he said – the way that you can tell that he made a cultural impact was the level of animosity that was expressed after his death. Mm. And I want to be very careful here because I am not equating to the persecution of Russ, Rush as a person to the persecution of Christians. But I do know this. That Jesus, even in his day, said, Woe to those who call good evil and evil good. And he said, Woe to you if men, all men speak well of you. So we should not seek to be offensive. But if we are speaking the truth, there's a good chance that we will be offensive. And one of the things I wanted to bring out from this clip is the fact that he talked about the difference between the way conservatives 
reacted when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died and the way liberals are now reacting when Rush Limbaugh has died. And the very fact of the matter is that conservatives, for the most part, even when they said we we disagreed with her uh, politically, we had a great deal of disagreement with her ideologically, but we still respect what she did and the doors that she opened for women. You had Ted Cruz say that, and in this clip that I'm about to play now, you even had President Donald Trump say that. I want you to listen to this clip from Donald Trump, and this is not a prepared teleprompter response. This is his off-the-cuff response when he's getting off a plane um, and a reporter approaches him and tells him that Ruth Bader Ginsburg has passed away a few months ago last fall to winter. So this was Donald Trump's off-the-cuff, I believe, sincere response. Just died. Wow. I didn't know that. I just uh, you're telling me now for the first time. She led an amazing life. What else can you say? She was an amazing woman. Whether you agreed or not, she was an amazing woman who led an amazing life. I'm actually sad to hear that. I am sad to hear that. Thank you very much. And so you had him and even conservatives like Ted Cruz who couldn't be more diametrically opposed to the things that she believed, the things that she fought for, and yet they said that she was an amazing woman and they respected her work ethic and the things that she brought to the table as far as opening doors for women. So I just see that as an extreme contrast in the way that we deal with people that disagree with us. I've seen this quote going around Facebook um, that says something to the effect that just because I disagree with you doesn't mean that I hate you. Mm. And I've seen it credited to a bunch of different people. I think perhaps that it originated with Rick Warren. But we really do need to get back to that place in our culture where you're able to respectfully disagree I mean, when Lincoln and Douglas were running for the Senate, um, or I think, or maybe even perhaps president, I don't know, they, they were, they were political rivals. But in Lincoln's first inauguration, Douglas was like near the front of the crowd that was watching him give his speech and he held Lincoln's top hat. Wow. During the inauguration speech. So even though they were political rivals, they still had the respect for one another that they were still going to support the successful one. And I really feel like that needs to be the way that we approach politics and everything else today. And I think that that is a very important uh, lead-in to today's overall podcast topic, which we will be getting to shortly Um but first, before we transition, I thought I would take 
a few moments to talk to you, Adam, and see how things are going, because it's been a few months since you were last on the show, so give us a little bit of an update. Well, it's good to be back and to hang with you again, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Um, it snowed a lot, that's for sure, <laughs> to say the least. Um, you know, it's been interesting. We had that with the holidays, and uh, it was nice with the family to be able to get together in smaller groups than usual. In fact, we even did a, an outdoor parking lot Christmas gift exchange with my grandma and that side of the family. So that was that was a new experience in a grocery store parking lot <laughs> to do a Christmas get together. Um, but everybody was kind of feeling that, you know, through the holidays this year with how different things were. But, uh, you know, it's been really great. God has been so faithful. Um, we've continued doing a youth group at uh, the church where I work full-time uh, with youth ministry, uh, doing that on Zoom. And, you know, while that's come with its challenges and, and teens are ready to meet back in person and, and the rest of us are as well, um, God's been really, really faithful being able to allow us to still connect in, in ways. And I tell you what, all of us, my volunteers, myself, we've become more techie in 11 months than we thought we would ever be in our lifetime. <laughs> having to learn everything um also uh you know speaking of 2020 it was kind of the year of of car issues that (laughs) maybe not all listeners know about but i actually went through about two or three cars that we've had several inside jokes developed from at this point because i should just own a bike but um god worked in incredible ways with that where i'd found a, a vehicle um on facebook marketplace and from my most recent car accident in november was able to get a little insurance check and it kind of boosted some savings ahead of time and um it was really great to find that vehicle it all worked out really well and i had a little left to pay down on it um after i gave the initial check and i wanted to actually read the text if that was okay that i have up of um the people i bought it from Absolutely. Because I had some, I had a little bit left over to pay on this. And so I got this text. It was after 3 p.m. on Christmas Eve, by the way. So I'm not making this up as some crazy Hollywood movie plot. This really happened. So I was, uh, actually, I was actually praying at the time, just, just in general, spending a little quiet time with the Lord. And uh, I went back to my phone and I saw this text number pop up. I had no idea who it was. And, um, this is, this is verbatim. And like I said, I had a little money left to pay down on the car. There was a contract we'd made and all that. And I was going to pay it off within a year. So she, uh, this person says, hey, Adam, this is uh, so-and-so, the wife of the guy you did the car deal with. Uh, we wanted to wish you a Merry Christmas and let you know that the uh, four of us, their neighbors were the previous owners of that vehicle, and then they were selling it. Um, we got to talking and decided we wanted to tell you that you do not owe another penny for the car. Please consider it paid in full. Merry Christmas. Have a blessed holiday. And please rip up the contract, and we will as well. So I was just, I mean, I tell you what, I really hope nobody saw it in my windows because I paced back and forth in my apartment for about 40 minutes <laughs> just saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And uh, a little misty eyed. I, I could not believe it. It was like a true Christmas miracle. And um, of course, I had to call them back and I was like, oh, thank you, <laughs> you know, in classic overwhelm way. But now uh, a very grateful owner of a uh, 2011 Honda Civic. It's like 65,000 miles on it. It's it's a dream car. Um, everything else looking for and then some. So um, it was amazing. It just goes to show that you can have your own plan down and then God will say, hey, I'm going to have this go this way. It won't make sense, but eventually you're going to see why it happened and it'll be better than anything you had planned. Whenever Adam posts something about a car, I just hope that it's not about another <laughs> wreck. Let's be honest. <laughs> At this point. Yeah, that's right. I know. Yeah, it's going to be a whole hashtag soon of car accident. 
So thank you, Adam, for catching us up. And um, I hope that all of you have appreciated this. Continue to pray for Adam as he continues to try to make a difference in the lives of young people. Mm, yes, thank you. All right, well, today on the podcast, we are starting a series on the characteristics of the love of God. And so I would like Adam to give us our quote of the day. And this comes right from God's word to our ears. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth and not knoweth not God, for our God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. That's First John 4, verses 7 through 9. And I know that brings you back, Adam, having you read the Old English and, <laughs> and stumble your way through. Stumbleth. Uh, I picked this verse because um, I feel like it really just centers us on our discussion today and talks about the, the love of God. It says, love is of God. Mm. And then it talks about how love is the characteristic of, of someone who knows God. If you don't know God, you don't understand love. And so our culture has appropriated the world love for any number of things. You and I could sit here and talk about things that we love, quote unquote, like TV shows or like grilled cheese sandwiches or pizza toppings that we love. But when we talk about the love of God um, or characteristics of the love of God, we are not talking about it in that context. We are talking about the perfect love, one that Jesus showed to us and one that we can only show to each other through his power. Um, and he really showed us the ultimate of love because he sent his son into the world that we might live through him. He died on the cross and rose again to prove to us that we can live in resurrection power and have victory over sin and death. And so that is the, the foundation upon which this series is laid. And uh, I want to talk today about four different aspects of that love. And as I said, we will see how the Lord directs to guide this series. Um, but we're really going to try to dive deep in this issue. And so I'm going to read the the main points and then Adam will read the scriptures to go along with them. So the first one is love in every part of life. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. That's Romans 12.10. This first point deals with the fact that we need to Show love in every part of life. Sometimes we tend to compartmentalize and we tend to say, well, well, love is important here, but we can turn it off here. Or we, we need to love those who are our family. We don't have a choice about whether to love them, but we don't need to love those who are difficult to love. And Jesus himself said, if you love those who love you only, then what reward do you have? Mm. 
mm. calling us to a higher standard of love and to love everyone. Now, I think another key thing to mention here, though, is that just because you love someone doesn't mean that you can approve of their lifestyle or the way that they are living their life. Because if we know the truth and we know that the way to truth is through Jesus and we don't tell people about it, that's not real love. If your house was on fire, you would want to know so you could get out of danger. And I feel like that's the kind of approach we need to have when sharing Jesus with others. So, Adam, do you have any thoughts? I really loved especially that last point you touched on there because um, it's good to talk about this because I think in a way sometimes we kind of forget what real love for somebody is and means. Um, and sometimes, if we're being honest, love is hard. <laughs> sometimes it is calling somebody out um, for what's best for them, even if the other person doesn't want to hear it. Or uh, maybe it's walking with someone through a really hard time in their life, um, but it's still – we're called to do because um you know if we're called to love like christ and he always walks with us regardless of what we're going through um you know we're called to do the same so i think that's such good discussion today it's just to be reminded of love is a lot more than than feelings or fun or or, or with people that are easy to get along with and that's a part of it that's a good thing but um we're called to be loving to all in fact i i remember a priest actually saying once this cracks me up he was like Jesus calls us to love everyone we come in contact with. You don't have to like them, but you're called to love them. And I think that's such a great reminder. It is a great reminder because we're not going to get along with everybody the same way. I think I think that's one of the the fears or the limitations, if you will, of the human condition is that we can't um, give each other equal amounts of time um, every once in a while, there's a friend that goes through a struggle, and when I when it's when I'm made aware of it, I'm like, well, I probably should have been more vocal in their life, or I probably should have done more for them. But the reality is that we only have a limited amount of time and resources, and we can't do for everyone the way we would like to do. Even Jesus in his earthly ministry, he would get tired and he would go to be on his own. Not because he didn't care about the people, but because he needed refreshment. The human side of him needed refreshment. So if the Son of God, perfect as he was, needed that refreshment, so do we. And I think that's an important reminder. All right, so our next aspect of the love of God is love is patient. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering... Forbearing one another in love. It's Ephesians 4.2. All right. So, and we're also pointing to how Jesus perfectly exemplified these. So for this point, just think about how patient Jesus was with his 12 followers, especially Peter, James, and John. Peter would often say things, brilliant. <laughs> and then he would also stick his foot in his mouth. And Jesus was always there to correct him lovingly and to say, I'm still there. I'm praying for you, Peter. On the night in which he was betrayed and arrested, he said to Peter, I'm praying for you that Satan won't get a hold of you because he desires to have you and sift you as wheat. But when you are converted, when this is over, strengthen your brethren. 
And I just think about that. And then how he dealt with the sons of thunder, James and John. They said, should we call down thunder and lightning on those who are speaking in your name? And he said, and Jesus said simply, if they're not against us, they're for us. And even Paul alludes to this in Philippians chapter one, when he says, the gospel may be preached through strife and vainglory, but it's still being preached. We can still rejoice in the preaching of the gospel if it's preached through false motives. And that's a hard thing for us to grasp because I do believe that motives are important. I do believe that God cares what our motives are. But if the true gospel is being preached, um, it's not our job to judge the people preaching it it's our job to be grateful that the gospel is going forth and that God is being honored. So, um, do you have any thoughts on patience, Adam? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think this past year, if we're being honest, has been a big test and lesson, uh, not just for myself, but I think for many I've talked to. Um, you know, when, when you're all of a sudden locked down and you're not expecting it, and it might be with people you love or in a place you weren't expecting. Um, it's not a bad thing, but you really go through this learning lesson of uh, learning how to be more graceful and patient with others, just being honest. And because um, I always had this thought, I'll be honest, growing up, I didn't even realize about myself. Where I always thought, well, you know, I, I'm to be fully open, fully loving, and fully openness to people um, if they're living kind of like the, the perfect Christian walk and um, they're not in anything bad at all. And that's not fully what God calls us to. He calls us to love people where they are, just as Christ came to those tax collectors, those sinners, where they were um, to walk with them. Now, of course, it doesn't mean if it puts your soul in danger that you, you keep walking and then you get into a bad place. But I was just reminded of that the past couple of years. Such a big lesson is, you know, Someone might not change the second you pray for them, and then everything's hunky-dory, great rainbows. Um, you might walk with someone for a while, and, and it could really test your patience, and it could test your relationship with somebody. Um, but I, I found as you walk with certain people through life and, and be reminded that you know we're not we're not called to fix them, um, but we are called to help carry their cross. It just has been such a great lesson in patience, especially this past year, but just the past couple of years as well of what it really means to fully – Love a person and not just, let's say, tolerate a person. That is so good because, first of all, we often think that we are on such a great place in our journey with the Lord and we want other people to be there as well. But the first point I would make is we probably aren't doing as well as we think we are. Um, the Bible admonishes us not to think uh, too highly of ourselves. But the other thing is to remember that everybody's on their own journey with the Lord. You know, it's easy to think that someone who comes to know the Lord today should believe everything that I believe. Mm -hmm. They should they should do all the Bible study that I do. They should go to church as much as I do. They should get everything right that I got right because, after all, it's right. Right, exactly, yes. But the reality is that we're all on different journeys, and so we need to be patient and allow God to work. Because we can't, we can be a vehicle for God to make a difference in someone's life, but we can't ultimately make a difference in someone's life. Absolutely. They have to make the decision, I'm going to choose different uh, because of what God has done in my life. 
And the reality is if God changes a person, you can't help but change. But God has to do the work. And he is in the business of changing us. He doesn't want to leave us where we are. See, too much of modern Christianity is you can come to God as you are and just stay the way you are. Right. But the reason to come to God, the reason to place your faith in Jesus Christ is to be different, to change, to be better because of what the Holy Spirit offers you. Because without the power of the Holy Spirit, we all are prone to sin. We all... um None of us seek after God, Romans says. So we need God. And so as we are um, going through this Christian journey, uh, the goal for us is to show how real God has been in our lives. And that is what really rubs off on people. They can argue with your theology. They can argue with what you believe on certain points. They can't argue with a changed life. That's that's just um, the ultimate reality. So, next we have, love is kind. He that followeth after righteousness and mercy findeth life, righteousness, and honor. Proverbs twenty one twenty one. And this is an important one because I think we all want people to be kind to us. We all want people to be friendly with us. We all want people to give us uh great things and to to just treat us with kindness. But we need to realize that we need to be kind ourselves. The Proverbs say he who would have friends must first himself be friendly. Mm. And again, the kindness needs to come, not just to the people that we like the people that we get along with. It needs to come to the people that we, don't particularly like that we don't get along with. So when they see us being kind, they can say, well, what made the difference? Why are they being kind to us? Even though we know they don't like us. And it's because of the difference that Jesus made. I mean, think about Jesus for a minute. Not a single one of us is naturally kind. The Bible says that when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to clean ourselves up and become worthy. That's not why he waited four to 6,000 years to come into the world. No, he waited because he had a plan for everything. And he says, let everything be done decently and in order. And it says, when the fullness of time had come, he came into the world, uh, born of a woman to redeem those who are under the law because the law couldn't save us. And so he wasn't looking for perfection. He wasn't looking for people to be good enough to be his. He was only looking for those by the power of God who would admit their guilt and trust him for salvation. Adam, do you have any thoughts? Honestly, you summed it up pretty nicely there. And our final one is love does not envy. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of being glory, provoking one another, envying one another. It's Galatians five twenty five to twenty six. Okay, Adam, I'm going to let you take the lead on this one. What are your thoughts on this topic of envy and this verse in particular? Boy, um, well, it resonates because 
there's been, you know, many relationships I've seen in the past, whether it be friends among other friends or other groups where I've seen it go both ways. And obviously you see the consequences and the outcome of, of each way. So when you have a, a, a community where people are really there for one another first and they're not at it for their own uh, desires or their own agenda or out of envy, um, something really beautiful happens. You see this community with the Lord at the center and some wonderful relationships and, and memories and events come from that. Um, I've unfortunately seen some groups also fall apart because I've seen a lot of people come together and it was you know fun at first, but then you know everyone had the kind of their own intention of what they wanted out of the group or, or what they thought everyone should do or what they were looking for to fill their own selves, and it it causes it to pretty much fall apart. So my biggest words with this is definitely this is a um, a huge warning verse, if you will. Um, a PSA, <laughs> a spiritual PSA, that if you know you go into something or friendships or relationships with your own agenda and everything at the forefront, um, it, it's going to crumble eventually. But if you go with the spirit of just serving, wanting to love others, and to experience that community with others, it, it can it can build a wonderful community. So there's really only two ways uh, for love and relationship to go: it's either to build or to crumble. And the Lord Jesus, he really gave us an example. Uh, he did everything that we've talked about today and showed us the proper way to live. You know, and Paul uh, talked about this often about when he besieged like Eodia and Syntyche in Philippians chapter 4 to get along. Um, and he talked about how we need to esteem others better than ourselves. He was really giving us keys to living this life. Mm. And um, when we are, when we are consumed by envy, we can't enjoy this life and, and get to the place where God wants us. I think about this in the context of the ministry opportunities or the ministry giftings that he gives us. If you are so, concentrated on someone else's ministry and wanting to have that for yourself and you don't bloom where you're planted or use the talents that God gave you, then you will be very unfulfilled. But if you are striving to be at the center of God's will, that's where the majority of your peace will come from. So I just want to encourage you to not have an envious attitude toward those who uh, you come in contact with. And it can be a hard thing because the natural thing is to compare ourselves with others. Uh, there's another verse uh, that says, and they comparing themselves with others were not wise. Um, because immediately when you compare yourselves to others, you'll always find someone that in your mind is better and a bunch of people that you can use to justify your actions and attitudes by saying, they're worse than me. Mm. And we need to make sure that we strike a good balance and don't do either of those things as we are going through this life. Well, I really hope that you've enjoyed today's show and our kickoff to this podcast series, Characteristics of the Love of God. And thank you, Adam, for being in studio with me today and joining me on today's show. 
friends, if you have any comments or questions regarding today's show, you can address me with the contact information that's about to roll. I hope that you have a wonderful week. And until next time, keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.